0: Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziegler Podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. So we have a value as like church leadership, whether it's like staff or elders, deacons, that when there's a decision made, it's made as a team, and you, know, you get different opinions and different perspectives, which is, is best when you make a decision to get all the different sides, and then you have to come to a conclusion. And the, the value of our church is that when a decision is made, we all leave the room owning that decision as if, hey, that's our decision. So we can't leave the room and be like, well, I didn't decide that. that so is discord. You know, I didn't want that, but that's just kind of what we all decided. Uh, we, we can't do that. We have to own the decision. Having said that, I can't do it. Just can't do it. So I just got to fill you in on a decision that was made that I'm not a fan of. All right, I'm just going to sow a little discord in the church right now. We sat down in a room to come up with our girls getaway name. And I'm not a fan of girls getaway. Uh, I had came up with mam camp. I think that's the best. I don't know how that got passed over. And they were like, oh, Junior, you don't know what women want. I live in a house full of women. I know what they want. MAM camp is what it should be, but my diggin' taken. start my own church, I call a MAM camp. So, <laughs> eight years ago, a documentary hit Netflix called Minimalism. And I watched this documentary a few times. I could not shake it. I think for a few reasons. First, I was raised by a Norwegian mom. And it's, it's the Norwegian way. and It's still very much the Norwegian way to, today to have few things. But you keep it like nice and you keep your space very neat. And, and all of that is almost seen, at least in the Norwegian culture. I know other cultures as well. But all of that is seen as like a spiritual discipline to have few things. But have them very nice and, and orderly and all, all of that. And growing up, we, just, we didn't have much to begin with. But our home was very simple and very orderly. And so I think a part of me kind of felt at home while I was watching this. But these guys in the documentary, they just take it to a whole new level. I mean, to the extreme. And you watch this documentary, it just kind of sucks you in. The whole premise is stop collecting more. Stop living in excess. Stop dreaming of more stuff. Live outside the whole rat race of of collection of, of stuff. And it's almost therapeutic to watch this. I mean, these guys are just like living on a next to nothing. You watch this and I guarantee you'll spend your whole weekend just purging all of your belongings. Like I watched this. I really love this documentary. And so after I saw it, I got rid of so many trinkets in my office. I cleaned out the garage. I purged a lot of our storage. Like I was all in. Like Call me Mr. Mo- you know, minimalist. Then I forgot about it. Until the other night, I was, Nicole and I, you know, we put the kids to bed, and we were just kind of scrolling through what we wanted to watch together, and this came up, and it made me curious. It's like, I wonder if the message of this documentary, that was, you know, eight years ago, I wonder if this stuck. Like, those who watch this documentary, I wonder if they embrace minimalism, if they're still living the minimalistic lifestyle today. And so I did a little investigation, which is basically just going on Reddit and asking and, and, and yeah, there were crowds of people saying, you know, hey, m- minimalism is the way to go. I watched this documentary. I jumped in, like never looked back. And then some were more like me. They're saying like, oh, I'm quasi-minimalist. You know, I, I have less stuff, but I also have some storage just in case and I have some shelves and I have a few trinkets that I like. But then there was one group that I found very, very interesting. There were a large group of people who wrote, I watched minimalism I loved it. I purged all of my belongings and I embraced this extremely simple lifestyle. And then they wrote something that broke my heart. They said, I found myself lonelier and my life emptier than ever before. That's a massive statement. And despite what they may think, simplifying their life didn't make them empty. It merely exposed the emptiness that was already there. The stuff that they had had before was just a Band-Aid for the emptiness that was already there. Purging just removed the Band-Aid and forced them to stare at their real, real problem. It's tragic. But when I read this, I thought, how many people, how many really in this room, how many of us have packed calendars? I mean, you're talking gatherings and sports and parties and trips, because we need all of that stuff and all of those events to distract us from the reality of our own emptiness. Think of the, the mom, a good friend, a family friend, who recently said to me, Junior, blank space in my calendar freaks me out. Why? Because that blank space with nothing to do is the same as sitting in an empty house. There's no stuff, there's no event to distract me from a consuming emptiness that I, f- that I fill with stuff and events. See, simplify, it's something that most of us want. We love this idea. Simplify like that. We crave this. Ah, to live the simple life, that'd be so great. But we rarely achieve it. Why? It's not because we don't know how. I mean, come on, we have like libraries of books telling us how to simplify our life. It's not lack of know-how. We rarely achieve what we crave because we don't know what, how to fill that emptiness we find when we clear out all the space. Who knew this was gonna be so depressing, huh? No, here, here's the thing. Whether minimalism works or not, scripture has a fascinating approach that also addresses the underlying issue as to why we keep complicating our lives more and more, right? Because that's what we often do, isn't it? We go through a season, we're like, ah, man, crazy season, we need to simplify next season. But then we find ourselves in the very next season saying the same exact, ah, you're so busy. Because this world keeps baiting us to living these complicated lives, and we keep running to all of that bait like a street addict. And then we're frustrated because we're doing so much, but really accomplishing so little. And it's why I love scripture. Not only does scripture teach us how to simplify, it addresses our compulsion to complicate, to go back to that which frustrates and slows us. And so today, we confront the real issue. And I hope you're ready. Let's see what our Creator has to say about us. We're in First Thessalonians 4 today. First Thessalonians 4. We got Bibles in the chairs. If you're gonna bring one, that's all right. We got those Bibles. Otherwise, I know people use their phones or tablets. But First Thessalonians 4. It's page 987 in the Bibles in the chairs. We also have notes, but we're not gonna get to the notes until later on. What I want to do is I just want to jump into this text. I love Scripture so much. We're just gonna like jump in and unpack this, kind of take it apart and and look at it in detail, and then we'll come out of it with with some with some notes. Let me pray. And We'll jump in. God, we do. We thank you for what we just witnessed, baby dedication. I mean, just think of my own family and, and praying for, for that child for, for years. And God, you giving life is just such a beautiful gift. And we, we thank you for what we got to witness. We thank you for what Jordan and I just talked about with, with the growth of, of church. It's very rare today. It's just a special thing. And we're just so excited to be part of, of a growing church right now. God, you are doing so much, not just numerically, but you're doing so much in our midst, spiritually. And we thank you for that, the, the lives that are being transformed and changed and relationships with each other, but also new relationships with you. And, and we, we're, we're just so thankful. Father, you're gonna speak through your word. I ask that we listen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms in on 1 Thessalonians chapter four, we find ourselves in the beautiful port town of Thessalonica on the shores of the Aegean Sea in Northern Greece. It's a beautiful area nestled into a bay. The hills just kind of seem to roll right out of the sea, providing these perfect places to drink in the coast and watch the ships sail right in. It does not get better than this spot. If the ocean breeze, and a hint of salt in the air. You of the olive groves that just kind of crawl down the knolls into the, into the shores. The sunsets giving the perfect orange backdrop to the hills and the ocean. See, Thessalonica is a chic port town, home to the high-class merchants, shipwrights, and fishing conglomerates. In some ways, it's very quaint, but the money just kind of seems to swirl here. And on this hill, down one of the side streets, meets a church. See, it wasn't long ago that a guy named Paul sailed into this very place and, and put together this small group of Jesus followers. And those Jesus followers have been meeting ever since in one of the bigger homes. It's a bit of a hodgepodge group. There's several successful business owners. There's a few wealthier merchants. There's a couple blue collar shipyard hands. And there they meet and they eat and they sing some scripture and they read together. But there's this issue that this group seems to be facing here in Thessalonica. It's an issue that you and I face today. Living in a wealthy society, it has its perks. And one of those perks is options. Because with money comes opportunity. You get invites to social parties, networking events, and fundraisers, and educational gatherings, and and trips, Most of this group is new believers and they're trying to navigate how, what does it look like to follow Jesus in Thessalonica? Specifically, what does it look like to follow Jesus with my calendar? See, As you sail into Thessalonica, it seems like this picturesque city, you know, living the simple life with the the beautiful view. But so, so, so much is happening within these walls. You kind of get lost in the chaos and the complexity of the opportunity. Thankfully, their old friend Paul writes them a letter with rich advice about this very idea. And we read in verse nine, Paul writes this. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. A little snapple cat fact. I don't know if you like highlighting your Bibles, which is a good idea. That word brotherly love there is the Greek word Philadelphia. Which is like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, city of brotherly love. I know, oh, kind of cool, city of brotherly love. Unless it's like the Eagles lose the Super Bowl, then it's the city of riots. Then it's a little different. But I love, uh, I love verses nine and ten. If you've been with us this summer, we've been, at, we we were in the series this summer called the Minor Prophets. You know, looking at these prophets who were. At times, very harsh on the people of Israel and, and, and so harsh to us because we're also you know, reading that as well. And it was brutal, right? Lots of like fiery correction, kind of a slap in the face at times. This summer, a slap in the face that, that at least I needed a few times. But here in verse nine, this isn't a slap in the face, this is more of a fist bump. Paul was telling this hodgepodge, collision of classes. He's saying, Hey, I don't need to tell you to love one another because that's what you're doing. I love what Warren Wearsby writes. Warren Weersby, other than being like one of the cutest old men you'd ever seen, was a, uh, was a former Chicago pastor. He died about four years ago. And if I ever have a good sermon, which I know is on rare occasion, but if I ever have a good sermon, you can just thank this guy right here. Because when I get stuck reading scripture, I just, I run to his writings. He's just like a legend in my book and I can't wait to meet him one day. But Warren wrote this, your love is one of the birthmarks of believers. And this is very true of the early church, especially here in Thessalonica, so much so that a pagan historian who wanted to just slaughter the church in his article, he ended up writing, behold, how they love each other. How the churches love each other. Because the wealthy would live like middle class to lift their, their brothers out of poverty. The wealthy would live like middle class to be able to do more ministry as a church. you think, like, okay, Junior, that's cool, but what does this have to do with like, simplifying my life? Everything. This is where we start. And this is where Paul starts. This is massive. What tends to pull us to complicating our lives more? What tends to pull us to accumulating more stuff? And what tends to pull us to to filling our calendars? I'll tell you, it's the rat race. We need to keep up with the Joneses. We need to drive what they drive. And we need to be with those people, and the kids have to be there, there, and there, because those kids are there, there, and there. We often complicate our lives to keep up with everybody else. And in these two verses, there's something so precious and so profoundly brilliant, and I just don't want to rush past it. Often, the first step towards simplifying our lives is to decide to love others instead of keep up with them. I'll say that again. Often the first step to simplifying our lives is to decide, I'm just going to love others instead of trying to keep up with them at every turn. You know who comes to mind when I read this verse? A guy named Steve Arnold. Steve Arnold is one of our elders at our church. He goes to this campus. You may know him. Um, he might be teaching our kids right now, actually. Steve runs a successful business, and he's pretty much like an inventor. Like, you, ever, you ever go to Top Golf, and you know those machines that like spit the balls out in your buckets? Steve designed and built those machines. Steve could have quadrupled his business many times over, and it would not have been wrong for him to do so. But somewhere along the line, Steve decided to just keep it simple. He kept his business at an easily manageable pace, and he poured his passion, instead of in his business, he poured his passion into loving people, specifically us. He runs kids' programs at the bridge, always designing and building things for kids. Like, here's a guy who could be leading teams of engineers and running an international conglomerate. He has the mind to do that, and he has the skill. But a few weeks ago, he was fixing my desk chair in my office. Fixing my desk chair. Like, Steve lives this beautifully powerful, simple life. His reward will be great. I'll be mowing his lawn in heaven. I'm just calling it now. But Steve made the conscious decision I'm just going to love more than anything else. This whole rat race that everybody's into, I, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to run a different race. Which race are you running? you trying to keep up with everybody? Are you trying to love them? Because you have to decide between one of the two. You keep up or are you going to love them? Like, what would it feel like to finally say, I'm good. I don't need more stuff. I don't need more attention. I don't need to look like that. I don't need invites to that. I'm just going to love better. And I'm just going to bless. And that's going to be my life. The decision to love instead of keep up is where we start. And for many of us in this room, we could just stop there, couldn't we? But we're not, because Paul gets even more practical. In verse 11, Paul writes this. He writes, and aspire to live quietly. I need to share this with my girls. <laughs> my kids, they started, they started school a couple weeks ago at, at CHA, the, the place we are opening up a new campus uh, pretty soon. And my girls are loving it. Lo- it's just a great school. My girls are loving it. Plus, uh, them back in school allowed my wife to go back to school. And she would like to eventually, I don't know, teach nursing at a university. Or she explained it to me, but I didn't really understand it. Um, so at the moment, I have four ladies under my roof in school right now. I come home from work, dinner is wild. Everyone is sharing a story about school that day. I get a sore neck, just like popping around the, you know, popping around the, the dinner table. I love it. it. It's the best. And thankfully, this is not discouraging that. I mean, could you imagine Pastor Brian would be so much like in so much trouble if this were what that meant? This verse doesn't mean we're supposed to be like wallflower mutes, you know, all timid and talking softly. Instead, the Greek word used here for quietly is "hezuhazo," which means to abstain from chaos. You could translate this as to just live simply. And this is more than like a minimalistic lifestyle. This is like a holistic refrain from chaos. I'm refraining from jam-packed schedules and calendars to keep up with so-and-so and be at those playdates and be at those gatherings and, and, and accumulate piles of stuff and, and, and being part of the drama. I'm holistically refraining from all of that and I'm just living simply. It's doing more with less. It's the quiet life, but it's far more powerful. There's a, uh, Jordan and I, we, we do a, a podcast and we did a podcast actually on this verse a while back. And as we were like getting ready for the podcast, we, we found this um, principle of mechanics that says louder does not equal more power. Mean, just because it's loud doesn't mean it's powerful. And when I read this, when I read that principle, I, I thought of, uh, remember in high school, all those guys who would like soup up their rust buckets with really loud mufflers? You remember what I'm talking about? You know, guys pretending to be in like Fast and Furious 13 as they drive obnoxiously loud and their stickers on their car basically just kind of holding the car together. Like they're loud, but like nobody's like, oh, that's a powerful car. It's like your car is just annoying. It's not powerful. Instead, we like the sports cars that just kind of seem to purr. You know what I'm talking about? The pristine, powerful sports car that it can take off really loud, but it just kind of purrs through town. The power is in the quiet. The loud rust bucket cars are a lot of people's lives today. A lot of our lives. Just like so loud, so chaotic, event to event, working overtime, running kids from sports to sports and parties and playdates and weekend trips and family gatherings, like room, Always complain that we're so busy. Hey, how are you doing? Busy! I'm just really busy. I'm so rushed. And some people, they just act like, you're like you know, like, hey, why are you so busy? And then they explain, you're like, Sound very busy to me, but it's like it's just kind of the popular thing to say. I'm just so busy, right? Chaos and loud, super busy. Very little power in that life. Paul is saying, simplify, simplify. Be choosy with what you adopt in your life. Stop saying yes to everything. The more you say yes, the less weight your yes carries. There is inflation to your yeses. Do less. Say no to the to the lesser things. Do fewer things so that you can do them with power. It's actually your no's that give power to your yeses. Live quietly. He continues on. And mind your own affairs. Now, some versions, your version might say, mind your own business, which I like better because that's what it literally means. Now, we read this version. We love this, don't we? You run across this verse it's like, I'm going to send this to Susie in the office. She's always in my business, you know, send this to my father-in-law. He's always busting my chops. You know, we love this verse. And part of the reason that we, we love this is because we think, you know, we look at this, we're like, we think we're pretty good at this. Until we look at her screen time on social media. It's like, oh, maybe we're in a lot of other people's business a lot, aren't we? You ever scroll the comment section just looking for the juice? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. Beyond that, investigative journalism has just taken off. Like, we just love a good story to sink our teeth into. I heard about the Neighbor app. I'm not on the Neighbor app, but I heard about it. I don't, I'm not getting it. I heard it's just like a bunch of neighbors, like, you know, like the old lady neighbors just like venting on the Neighbor app all the time, just in everybody's business. Like, we can't help ourselves, can we? We just If there's a, if there's a story circulating the office, we want in. We want It makes us feel included. If we're not included in the gossip, we're kind of offended, aren't we? Like, well, who's, when are you going to tell me about this? I talked to my, my oldest about this just last week. So, you know, she's at her new school and she's loving it. But anytime you get a bunch of fifth graders together, fifth grade things happen. And so she's telling, uh, she's telling me and Jordan, she's in my office and Jordan popped in and she's like, she's like, guys, I'm staying out of it, but there's a good amount of drama going on oh, no. Like, really? Why? It's like so-and-so likes so and so. And they wrote him a letter, but we haven't heard back yet. She's like, but guys, I'm staying out of it. Jordan goes, It sounds like it, girl, like you know about it. It's like, well, I know about it, but I'm not part of it. Fifth grader. She's learning. But we don't outgrow that, do we? Like, later on that night, I was cleaning up the kitchen, and she was following around, filling me in on all the rest of the drama. And finally, I said, baby, I want to know about your life. I want to know about your life. I don't care about this, okay? Like, the less I know about this stuff, the happier I am, and the happier you're going to be. So let's just be ignorant of all that stuff. Actually, this morning, my, I like, my, my first grader, Reese. I like her class drama. She, she woke up, her and I got up before the rest of the house. I have, 13 females in my house right now because we have a family party this afternoon. So sermon might go extra long today. But um, Reese and I woke up before the rest of the house and so she sits on my lap and I'm uh, just talking about school. And she's like, giving me the scoop on the first grade drama. First grade drama, far better than fifth grade drama. She's telling me that there's a boy in her class. He's six years old and he's already growing a mustache. I was like, I like this drama. Keep me, keep me in on that stuff. I want to see where this goes. But it's, it's no coincidence that the rise of social media and investigative journalism also coincides with the decline of overall mental health. We love a good juicy story, don't we? Because the front end, it tastes so good, right? Oh, I'm included, you're telling me now I know. And, and it makes us feel better about our lives. Oh, they're really screwing up over there. My, my life doesn't look so bad. But the information on the back end, it drags us down. And Paul's point here is live quietly and stay out of the drama. People who live in power don't have time for petty squabbles. The lions don't care about the drama of the sheep. Live quietly. Mind your own business. Aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs. And work with your hands as we instructed you. Now, this has been something that uh, my dad really built into me growing, growing up. There's something to working with your hands. First off, it's scriptural. You can't get away from it. You know, Paul commands it here. But there's a reason that Paul commands it. It's actually a biological reason and a psychological reason. You ever, uh, you ever leave the office or factory or work, you know, the school, whatever, and you're just mentally exhausted? You ever find yourself there? Um, Tuesdays are that day for me. Tuesdays, I'm just typically in meetings from around 7.30, 7 a.m. to about 5 p.m., which I know isn't like crazy compared to some of your meetings, but that's a long day for an introvert in meetings. I hate meetings. They're, I know they're necessary and they need to happen, but like, I just, I hate them. They're exhausting. And so you get to the end of these like meeting days and you're just mentally tired and you look at your day, and at least I do, and I look at my day and I'm like, what did I accomplish? I know we accomplished stuff because like we had to have the meetings with the different departments and all of that, but like, I can't stand back and admire my work for that. It's like, it was just like, it was meetings. I can't admire that. And so my dad, growing up, my dad would always say like, go home and, and build something. Work with your hands. Why? Other than scripture, research has found that when you work with your hands, it's very therapeutic. Uh, even something like, I think there's research done on knitting, which I don't know how to knit, but those, you know, knitting um, releases serotonin And it gives you this feeling of happiness and satisfaction because then you can look at what you just did and you'd be like, I just made it. Something you can't do with meetings. And so, after a long day, instead of plopping on the couch and vegging on like drama on the TV, which feels so good in the moment, doing something productive with your hands is far better for you in the long run. It's kind of like you ever mow the lawn and you stand back and you're like, oh, look at those lines. Those are good lines. My wife one time, she, she's trying to bless me because she's so great. And she knew I needed to mow and she went out and she mowed for me before I got home. But she mowed in a box, like a spiral. I was like, what are you doing? The neighbors are gonna judge me. Like, look at those lines. Don't do that. Or you ever paint a room? And I don't know if you're just high from painting or not, but like you stand out of the room, and you're like, oh, look at that room. Like it just, it looks so much better. There's something about doing something with your hands. Nicole used to laugh at me because I would come home from the office and I'd just start a house project. And she'd pop in and be like, rough day. And huh? I was like, yeah, I just, I have to do something with my hands so that I can at least step back and go, okay, that looks good. Long day of meetings, but like, look at the lines. Look at the lines on the lawn. It's not a spiral. They're like diagonal or they're, they're straight. You know, or Look at the garage shelves. They're organized. Part of being a people of God is adopting manual labor and embracing it. Like God gave you muscle, you gotta use it. Now I'd be thinking, okay, Junior, work with your hands. What does that have to do with simplify? I don't know. Ask Paul. Paul put it in here. I'm just, no. Here, okay, here, here's where this connects. When we gossip, when we scroll social media, uh, you know, read a juicy story, our brains release dopamine. And I know you know this, but we're just gonna go over it again. Our brains release dopamine, addicting us to the trigger. So whatever triggers dopamine in our, in our brain, we actually, we, we keep going back to that. This is why some people really feed off all the drama because that's their dopamine kick. It's why some of us can't go 30 minutes without looking at a phone because that's where you get your dopamine. I've seen you. I've seen you since I started preaching. Um, the, you know, you just need that hit of dopamine from the phone. Paul is saying to live simply, get your dopamine from your right source. Hard work releases Dopamine. So get dopamine from your hard work. Get dopamine from the productivity, not the chaotic stories and the gossip. The way I think of it is, a couple years ago, I oversaw our summer camp staff, which is high school and uh, and college. and We had a blast. It was a great summer. Um, But there were two types of, of summer staff there was the summer staff who knew all of the drama. And they'd always say, oh, I hate drama. Which, by the way, if you say you hate drama, it's kind of a tell that you like drama because you have to remind yourself and other people that you don't like drama. But they would, like, oh, I hate all the drama. But they were involved in all the drama. And they were not the hardest workers by any stretch of the imagination. You know, just complaining and, and drama. So much so that, you know, when I come back here to Chicago to do some church stuff and then I head back up to camp, I was like, I need to get the scoop of what's going on at camp. And I knew as I was pulling onto the camp, Um, driver was like, I need to ask the lazy workers because they're going to know exactly what's going on around the camp. The hard workers are going to have no idea. The lazy workers could give me all the, the scoop because that's where they got their dopamine from. They didn't get their dopamine from their hard work. Then there were the hard workers. They were the happiest. They were so refreshing. They knew of no drama going on around them at all. They just worked hard at their jobs. They didn't get their dopamine from the drama. They got their dopamine from their hard work. This is what Paul is getting at. If you want to live simply, aim your focus and your energy and your work at your work, at what God has given, put on your plate. Aim all of your focus on that so much that you don't care about all the complicated stories that are circling around you. Not only will that simplify your life, it sets you up to be this refreshing influence. This text is so good, isn't it? I love this text. Verse 12, he continues on. He says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, the context of this is, is there was some church people in Thessalonica who could work, but didn't. And it kind of goes back to, if you read like Acts chapter two, it talks about how the church is like selling things um, the wealthy were selling things so that the brothers in poverty you know, were living in poverty. It's beautiful how the church was operating. But there were some people that were taking advantage of that. It's was like, all right, well, I don't need to go to work because we have some wealthy people and they can sell more stuff and then I don't need to, need to go to work, so I'm just going to live off the wealthy. Paul's message is be independent and don't do that. Be a big boy, get a job, work hard, pay rent, buy a house, make some babies and work hard. Ride your bike to work if you don't have a car, figure it out and live independent. This definitely carries over into our context today. I might get some emails for this, but I'm just gonna say it because I'm getting this from the text. If you are over 22-ish and you're living at home, I'm not saying that's a sin, but it is a sin not to have a plan toward independence. It is a sin to not work toward independence. God designed you to be independent, not spiritually, but to support yourself. It's a sin to not grow up. I think they call it the Peter Pan syndrome. Lots of guys who just, they don't don't want to grow up. And so I'm more talking to guys here, but guys, you know, they they just don't want to grow up. They, They don't want to wake up early. They don't want to get a job. They don't want to pay their own way. They don't want to learn to cook. They don't want to learn how to budget. And then a lot of times what happens, especially in our society, is like they make a bunch of babies and they don't take care of them. They would rather just keep feeding off the government or feeding off their parents. That is not the way of a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't get away from what Paul says here. Be independent. Now, this verse also addresses something that we would call codependency. You ever hear of codependency? There's a lot of different forms of codependency, but it's it's essentially—I know I'm like oversimplifying it, but it's simplified series. Codependency is basically like when you need someone. It's like a, a clingy friend, a, a needy boyfriend, a needy girlfriend. You can't be alone. A high maintenance spouse. Paul is saying, don't be needy, clingy, obsessive, high maintenance person simplify by becoming more independent and not needing people. Why? Well, first off, lots of drama just spills out when you live that way, but also so that you may walk properly before outsiders. People who follow Jesus into a more simple life, they stand out in this world because in a world of chaos and rat races, dependency and mental health crises and dopamine addicts, it's Jesus followers who simplify and they stand out because that is refreshing. It's a great text, isn't it? Now, we haven't gotten to any notes. My apologies. I just love this text so much. It's just kind of fun to take it apart. But let's hit these notes before we, before we end. These come right from the text. Number one, embrace a quiet life to find a bigger perspective. Embrace a quiet life to find a bigger perspective. Constant busyness shrinks our perspective. Busy people don't see the big picture. They're too locked in on their full schedule to be able to zoom out and have a bigger perspective. Just constant busyness. It might give you a rush. A lot of people who are addicted to stimulus, they just love being in a hurry all the time, but it actually kills their perspective. Uh, this is why kids who grew up in more chaotic homes, kids who grew up in like, homes that would just pack schedules, always busy, lots of activity, those kids will be, often become either stimulus addicts and or struggle with being creative. It's in the quiet life that God gives us a bigger perspective. Think about it like, uh, you know the story of Elijah? I love Elijah. He's a prophet of God, super BA. I love that guy. When God spoke to Elijah, you remember the story? It wasn't in the tornado. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the earthquake. You remember when God spoke to Elijah what it was in? It's the whisper. It's the quiet. This is where we hear from God. The quiet. And I really do believe that Jesus' followers should have bigger perspectives than everybody else on this earth because we embrace the space where God speaks and the quiet. Most people today are very uncomfortable with it being quiet. Jesus' followers embrace it. Now, this does not mean cancel all of your plans, erase everything on your calendar, and be lazy. I'm not saying that. What this does mean is being intentional with what you put on the calendar and why you put it on your calendar. Think of like right now, my, uh, my daughter's, Gymnastic gym is relentlessly trying to, to get, get us to put her in a two hour classes twice a week at their gym. And I know it's for money, but they keep on saying, you're wasting her talent. You're, it's like, all oh, right, great sales pitch. But Nicole and I, we put our foot down. I was like, no, we're not gonna do it. Like one time a week is enough. I want my youngest in my home because I have far more to offer her than a gym. And I want her bored sometimes. And I want her in the quiet because that's where the good stuff is just had a conversation with my other two because, you know, this, in school now, it's like all these different options that they can take. It's like, no, you have to pick one thing. Now, that's just my role. I'm not saying you have to. It's like you have to pick one thing because I want you bored sometimes and I want you in my house bored with me sometimes. So this might mean saying no to some things, but it definitely means adding margin between activities, not cramming everything together to be in a rush, but creating some space between events and vacations and parties to be bored, to to have quiet and to reset and to regain that bigger perspective that we can lose when we go, 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 go. We get this from Jesus. Remember, like Jesus was pulled in many different directions, but how often in the Bible could Jesus just not be reached? Quite a bit in the Gospels. Jesus lived this powerful life, but it was often in the quiet. Number two, learn the art of no. This is going to be hard for some of us, so let's talk about this. Learn the art of no. Just like Thessalonica, our prosperity gives us many options. Options for extracurricular activities, sports, events, parties, trips, ventures. Paul's point is, We have to be intentional. If we're not intentional, our calendars will run us instead of us running our calendars. This world will always bait you into chaos. Learn the art of no. And learn the art of no in a couple areas. First off, learn how to say no to overscheduling. Overscheduling is not a virtue. Just because there's space on the calendar, it doesn't mean you should do it. One of the craziest stories in scripture is, I just find this like a wild story, is when um, there's a line of sick people outside the house where Jesus is staying. So word got out that Jesus is staying at this house. A Bunch of sick people come up. They line up outside the house, long line off the porch. Jesus is nowhere to be found though. He snuck out and he found a quiet place. So his disciples, they go looking for him. Finally, they find him. They're like, hey, there's like a line of sick people waiting for you. Let's go, come with us. They need to be healed. And Jesus says, no. Essentially, Jesus says, I'm not a hospital. I'm a preacher. I came to give the gospel, not just heal people. I'm not going to be baited into being a hospital. That's wild. Like those people went home that day not being healed because Jesus wouldn't be baited into the lesser. And I fear that many of us are living less powerful lives because we keep taking the bait into the lesser. We keep taking the bait to fill our life with lesser chaos. Meanwhile, we're not serving. We're not living in true community. We're not in God's word much. There's not much quiet in our lives and we're just spinning our wheels. We're just too busy with the lesser. Learn the art of no. There are things that are worth your time, but there's also things that just simply aren't. And you need to learn the art of what to say no to. We take the lead from Jesus. Jesus said, I'm here to preach the gospel. That's what I'm here for, so I'm going to say yes to that stuff. So I'll ask you, what are you here for? Why does God have you on this earth? Why is your heart beating right now? Why are your lungs filling with air? Is it so that you can go to parties? Or is it so you can be part of community? Did God put you on this earth for sports? Or for serving? What are you here for? When you understand what you're here for, now you know what I, what I need to say yes to and what I see, need to say no more to. Say no also to drama. to drama. And I know I need, don't need to tell you any of this because nobody's dramatic in here. But uh, another way to put this, and call me cheesy, but I don't know, I just thought it was like, yeah, this will stick. Say no to being in the know. I just don't need to be in the know. This world's drama is just not worth knowing. Often the timelines are just not worth scrolling. The article sometimes isn't worth reading. The podcast, I get people sending me like gossip podcasts and I'm it's like, I don't care. I'm not gonna listen to it. It's just not helping me. It's a cheap dopamine hit that just hurts me in the long run. Like what's the dare slogan? Just say no. Just, just say no to being in the know. Then number three, showcase something different. This is how Paul finishes. Like verse 12, Paul summarizes the whole thought. Why are we doing this? Aim to love, live quietly, mind your own business, work hard. Why are we doing all this? So that you may walk properly toward outsiders. You're the showcase. This world is chaotic. This world is stressed while it spins its wheels accomplishing very little. And as Jesus followers, we offer something far different. Remember, we follow the one who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you follow Jesus, your life is to be living proof of this. In the chaos and the stress of this world, we showcase what it's like to hold the gospel. We found what we're looking for. The emptiness that this world is trying to mask with schedules and stuff. Jesus Christ filled that emptiness in us. We don't need the distraction. And so forget the rat race. We're running a totally different race and it's how we can love people better. And forget who's who. We've already found him. Our simple lives Are these refreshing oasises in a world of chaos? Are you an oasis in this chaos? Or does your life look pretty much like your neighbors and everyone around you? Is your life living proof that my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Maybe the first step towards simplifying your life is surrendering it to Jesus. It's the only way to fill that emptiness that you've been spending your life masking. Most people's busyness, it's not a matter of importance at all. Most most people's busyness is a tragic life of trying to fill the void with activity and stuff and image and they're just masking their own tragedy their whole life. It's why Jesus beckons you, surrender it. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, surrender it. All you want is found in Jesus Christ and you can embrace him today where you're sitting. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God wants to save you from this rat race that you've been exhausting yourself running. But for those of you who have embraced Jesus, are you embracing his teaching? Does your life, does your schedule, just, just the way about you, does it prove that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light? Is your life a living example of the gospel? Or are you just constantly taking the bait to fill your life with the lesser? I wanna refresh God's calling on your life. Aim to love more. Obsess about that. How can I love more today? Live quietly. Mind your own business. Work with your hands so that you may walk properly before outsiders. See, the simple life is not some pie in the sky that we can dream of having. No, it's actually a command that God has put on our lives. It's where God speaks, and it's where we live intentionally and with power, and it is where we model Jesus Christ. And so we ask ourselves, so what? As we always do, come out of God's word. I mean, this stuff is so practical. Paul tells us what to do. Let's not be just hearers of God's word, but let's be doers of God's word. What are you gonna do? How does this change your week? How does this change your perspective as you head into this next week? The question I wanna throw your way is, how are you going to embrace a more simple life this week? Maybe for some of us, it's, I, I need Jesus because I've just been masking my own emptiness For others of us, it's, I need to aim to love because I've been trying to keep up with everybody else. I've been living in envy, trying to keep up with so-and-so and be at this and that and this and that. I just need to love better. For some of us, it's, I need to say no to the lesser so that I can embrace what God has put me here for. For others of us, it might be, I need to add margin. I need to... Approach my calendar differently. I don't know, what is God putting on your heart? Because this is what God does. We open up God's word. The Holy Spirit works and he puts something on our, what's he putting on your heart? How are you going to simplify this next week? Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.